All right, good morning, uh, listeners, to this week's news from the drug war front on a beautiful summer's beautiful day in Canberra. Tuesday. Can you believe it? A uh, Cu- couple of actual days of summer. We have some summer, yes, we have summer. <laughs> so that's uh, good for all you sun lovers and people who like it warm who've probably been pretty disappointed thus far. Okay, uh, my name is Jeff. As usual, my partner in crime is Marion. So good morning. Uh, good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning, everybody. And how are you all this morning? I hope you're feeling well and happy and ready for an hour and a half of news from the drug war front. Yes, look, for those who haven't listened, of course, um, it's presented by the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy, which is Canberra's um, peer-based drug and alcohol service, and also the Connection, which um, uh, helps uh, First Nations people. Uh, It's in Belconnen. Marion will give the address and phone number shortly. Um, so, of course, we do want to promote the services that Karma provides because it's very important um, to have a peer-based organisation to help people. Sadly, illicit drugs still comes with a lot of stigma and discrimination and um, there's a lot to overcome, Marion, in that respect. Um, Absolutely. Decades. It's still the only thing really apart, I think, from um, perhaps uh, not legally but uh, in functional terms, psych-affected people that are still discriminated against, yeah? We're not included in the anti-discrimination legislation. It's okay to discriminate against people who use drugs. And it's really a long road to to get somewhere. I remember a speech that um, former High Court Justice Michael Kirby gave about the the fight to get gay rights and have that, you know, it used to be illegal, and now it's not. It's been, you know, legalised. And even retrospectively, though, in Western Australia, they've gotten rid of the... all the charges, oh, all is that the right? penalties. Yeah, I heard yeah, that. They well, that's good. Them. So it should be. But unfortunately, as Marion said before, it still um, seems to be quite reasonable to treat illicit drug users with contempt and uh, stigmatise and discriminate against them. And I think that's the accumulation of five plus decades of um, a global war on people who use drugs. Well, and the idea, yeah, I mean, the propaganda that has gone with that, Jeffrey, and our listeners will all know if you go to uh, a GP and mention that you are um, a drug user or you're on methadone or you're on buvital or any other opioid maintenance Replacement drug, therapy. <laughs> then you'll be treated as a drug user and everything, every symptom that you talk, that you present to the doctor will generally be seen as just part and parcel of your drug use. And even worse, That's Marian, because you use drugs. Even worse, Marion, with my health issues in the past year, I've actually gone to hospital on a number of occasions, and I can speak firsthand that uh, once you admit to being on a treatment like that, you... Um, your attitude, the attitude can quickly yeah, change. It changes completely, doesn't it? And they think it's all about drug-seeking behaviour. Yeah. Well, I can assure you, hospital's the last place on earth I would willingly go to unless to, I to felt... To get drugs from, oh, absolutely. It, it, it's insulting, it's wrong, uh, but it's endemic. And, uh, and it's uh, humiliating. Oh, it's, yeah, it's... A, it's dreadful. It's, it's just, just wrong. Fundamentally thing. wrong, you know. Anyway, um, we've got some interesting stories today. Uh, we've got a positive one about... Um, Peers on Wheels, a mobile peer-led testing and treatment service, revolutionising Hep C healthcare on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Uh, So that's a really positive story. Got some ones that are a bit more alarming, um, alcohol and drug use in regional and remote uh, Australia. And also the fact that in the Northern Territory, they've had the Liquor Commission as part of the Economic Development Department, if you can believe that, Marion. Oh, look, I can believe it, Jeffrey, strangely. (laughs) 
you know, the, it, it's like being a smoker, you know, the people to get you the majority of taxation from is those people who are um, dependent or regular users of um, a drug that uh, is uh, consumed at enormous rates. Yeah, and well, although, cigarettes is one. Though with one hand they're saying don't use, keep yourself straight, stay together, yep. keep the family intact, don't have any vi- family violence. With the other hand, they've been saying, well, okay, but we'll take all the taxation from the alcohol because, so, I mean, you know, it... It's fundamentally woven to think that it was actually one of the pillars of their income, their local income. Yeah. Even I was surprised by that one. I know alcohol is a part of our culture and woven into the fabric of um, people's um, celebration, commiseration, you know, all sorts of levels, you know, yeah, drinking is well, part of our culture. I but wonder if the whole idea is that they haven't got enough people who are working to tax or to have local tax from, or maybe the local taxation... Go, doesn't go come from people who are working. That well, goes to the federal. Some anyway. people in territory has decided that it's not a good look and they're going to shift it out. So we'll, <laughs> Not we'll, a good look. That's, we'll cover that. that's an understatement, darling. <laughs> I think the big story for the week, Marion, is the bloodbath in Mexico um, oh. trying to arrest uh, El, Chapo's El Chapo's son, son Oviedo yeah. uh, Guzman. It's the second time the uh, Mexican authorities have tried to nab him back in 2019. They actually did arrest him, but it was, you know, like the middle of the day and yeah. so many of his um, henchmen and gunmen and workers were around that um, he was freed. He just got freed, yeah. So this time they went, they got him on the outskirts of his hometown and um, but still 29 people at, at last count were oh, killed in a bloodbath. Yeah. That's, um, you know, members of the Sinaloa cartel, uh, military people, who knows how many civilians. And um, the whole idea that that's going to solve any problem in relation to distribution or the the uh, availability of drugs or the, even the, the transmission of uh, illicit drugs be- from Mexico to the United States, which is probably where the... Um, the impetus to arrest El Chapo's son comes from. Well, they've already asked for yeah. him to be extradited. So. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, there you go. But so, you, I mean, the fact that they think that that's going to make uh, any difference to the availability defies of those drugs evidence. is just, Yeah, it's, I mean, there's no evidence associated with that. All it'll do is divide up or allow... The, the the provision of drugs and the availability of those drugs to come from multiple sources. Yeah, and young up and comers will shoot it out and to be top dog. And, yeah. No. Oh, look, it's just barbaric. Um, it, you know, look, if, if that evidence was, or that policy was going to lead to any you know, major change in the dire situation, El Chapo, being in maximum security in America for the rest of his life, should have done something. Yeah. I mean, they made such a big yep. deal of it. And now... His son is the, the man they go after. But the, the death and carnage is not going to end because they've arrested El Chapo's son. So No. We'll, uh, we'll muse on that uh, depressing situation. You can't arrest your way out of stuff like that. Yeah, so, okay, so that's the... That's, 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 that's what's on a, the agenda? That's on the agenda, yep. Um, and we'll talk to you uh, now just quickly about what karma does, for those of you who aren't aware of it. Um, and it's important that you understand that karma believes that dr- people who use drugs of any kind should be treated with dignity and respect. 
both as human beings and as consumers of health and social services. Karma works to reduce the discrimination and stigma experienced by drug users. And the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Ad Advocacy, and this is something that we really need to emphasise, is not-for-profit incorporated association and it's recognised as part of the ACT specialist drug treatment organisations, but it provides peer-based drug treatment from our drop-in centres. And that's something that needs to be acknowledged and hasn't been emphasised um, up to date. Uh, we are in a position to be able to integrate uh, or allow people to integrate themselves into the wider drug treatment availability. Yeah, we partner with all and other organisations. And Karma is part and parcel of that. It's part of the range or the, the hierarchy, if you yeah. like, of um, services provided for drug users. Indeed. And that's something that we just, that Karma does, apart from a range of Karma and the Connection, and Connection is specifically designed for First Nations people. Yes. And their programs are designed to deliver to First Nations people in particular. Um Karma is at uh, 62, it's on 62533643 um, and they're both located at the Belconnen Churches Centre, Shop 17, Level 1, 54 Benjamin Way. The drop-in hours, it's open and running again, yes. by the way. Yes, it's um, fully operational. And, yeah, it's back to normal. Drop-in hours are 10am to 4pm from Monday to Friday and Contact can be made on that phone number I gave you, 62533643. And the um, naloxone workshops, the opioid overdose um, response workshops, uh, will be starting up again from the first Tuesday February. in uh, February. Yep, at the early morning. And then they'll be regularly on that day. Uh, or on the first Tuesday of every month yep. from then on. As a regular booking. So if people so are if interested you, in getting trained how to yep. recognise an opiate overdose and how to use the nasal spray naloxone, which I strongly recommend, and I'm sure you would too, Marion. Absolutely. Well, I'd, actually, I looked at my bag this morning and realised I didn't have a naloxone with me, so I went to the cupboard and got one out and quickly shoved one in there. <laughs> Excellent. Because um, I just think everybody should be carrying naloxone and it doesn't matter what you uh, what you use it for, it's best used for opioid overdose, but apart from that, it does no harm. And who knows if you might come across somebody even in the street or in public or whatever, or well, a friend, or absolutely. you can save their life. It's who pretty powerful. What, I mean, I'd love to know what happened to that guy, the football player last week who had a heart attack. In America. He's, in America. He's on left the intensive field. care yeah. and he's gone to just a general hospital. And, yep. And uh, he had a heart attack on the field. Now, you know, my feeling was, first of all, okay, whatever else, we're going to do CPR on him. Yeah, Give him a snort of Nixoid as well. So he got his heart going uh, again. And he's, yeah, he's just in case. Seems to be recovering, but it yeah, caused enormous shock. Yeah, they they, they cancelled the game. It's not yes, going to be replayed. So. It was, yeah, and was very frightening. But the point is, it no matter what happens, if somebody's collapsed and lying on the ground, and they seem to be yeah. very blue yep. in face and fingers and if their extremities and in their lips, 
the the point may well be that they have uh, had an overdose. And a spray of naloxone. A will. spray of naloxone will do no nothing yep. in the way of harm and will simply bring them back to consciousness. Yeah. No, it's a program Karma is rightfully very proud of. And That's right. Who we knows absolutely. how many lives the... Yeah, and Dave and Damo will be there for you. So ring them on 62533643. Book yourself a place um, and... Get trained. Yep. Get involved with it. Awesome. Because that's what we're there for. Indeed. Okay, this news from the Drug uh, Warfront uh, report um, looks at news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and also around the world. Many of the articles we feature come from sources, including the mainstream media, and the contents of this broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of Karma and the Connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we do recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen, regardless of laws and United Nations conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy, very important, and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Yes. Karma advocates for equity and health, equity of health service delivery for all people. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, that's okay. I was just going to say something that we just need to reiterate, that in some places, well, certainly in the ACT and probably in the majority of other places, some of the worst um, stigmatisation comes from fellow drug users. Indeed. We are so tough on each other. Yes. Um, That's a good point, And Aaron. it's something that we need to focus on. Community development is about keeping people who have issues in common together and respectful of each other. Indeed. And making sure that... If you know something that a friend of yours who uses illicit drugs needs to know and you're able to provide that knowledge to them, provide the knowledge, give them the information, yep. get them in touch with with a doctor who will not discriminate. Or get them to ring um, Karma or come in. Get them to go to Karma um, and just get them in touch with a worker who yep. can at least talk to, you, to them over the phone yep. and provide... Um, the opportunity to have an appointment if that's so required Indeed. or referral to another agency yep. if that's what seems appropriate. Oh, well said, Miss. Just, yeah, be no. kind to each other and don't don't discriminate against each other. Don't stigmatise your mates or because you're doing it to yourself. Indeed. Look, sadly, I would have hoped to have seen the end of prohibition if um, evidence-based policy was underpinning um, decisions, but sadly... Uh, Reforms are incremental, and at least in Canberra we have had some reforms, like the drug we testing service. Over um, the last 12 months have been actually incrementally getting better, yep. much better. The reforms to personal drug use that come into effect in October. you know, there's, yep. So there's some cause for hope, but it's um, a glacial pace, I would have to say, if I'm being candid. But anyway, I'll play a song that hopefully will engender some um, enthusiasm for people to do that a little bit to try and end the war on people who use drugs. Yep. Edwin Starr's classic, War. It's Yeah. What? Who? Who? Yeah. What is it good 
it to me. might be from 1970, but it hasn't lost any of its impact. No, um, it's still a powerful song, isn't I'm it? I'm glad you couldn't hear Marion and I singing along to it. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, inspiring. Yeah. Okay, welcome back to uh, News from the Drug War Front with Jeff and Marion. Uh, we've got a piece uh, about peers on wheels. This is from uh, Of The Area News. I think it must be a North Coast um, local publication. 
Mobile peer-led testing and treatment services are revolutionising hep C healthcare on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Australia could be one of the first countries in the world to eliminate hepatitis C or HCV. However, increasing testing and treatment uptake will be essential to achieve the goal set by the World Health Organisation and also the Australian Government to eliminate hep C infection as a major global public health threat by the year 2030. A rapid scale-up of new and innovative peer-led approaches to hepatitis C testing and treatment is badly needed, including investing in the skills and capacity of peer workforces and in developing new peer education resources for people who inject drugs. New South Wales User and AIDS Association, or NEWA, which is our sister organisation in Sydney, has partnered with the Kirby Institute, New South Wales Health and the Mid-North Coast Local Health District to co-lead, co-develop and co-implement a peer-led mobile hepatitis C testing model, including peer-supported engagement, financial incentives, point-of-care hep C testing and linkage to care to enhance treatment uptake among people who inject drugs. That sounds very one. similar to the program Collaboration in, in uh, Canberra, yeah, doesn't it, hepatitis ACT, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the article goes on, this model understands the need for rapid scale-up of new peer-based approaches, including investing in the skills and capacity of the peer workforce and in developing new peer education resources, information and support for hep C to people who inject drugs, said a newer spokesperson. spokesperson. Additionally... The person goes on, we've formed linkages and partnerships with services in primary and community settings to improve treatment pathways and co coordinate care. Peers or on Wheels or POW projects significantly improves community access to hep C resources by bringing point of care testing and treatment to areas where it's needed most and meeting people where they're at. Which is exactly what should be happening and very pleased to hear it, really. Oh, absolutely. The article goes on. One of the major challenges for increasing hepatitis C testing and treatment in Australia is that several visits to healthcare uh, providers are required with multiple different tests to, to confirm active infection. Requiring people to make multiple appointments to receive their results can be a significant barrier, particularly for people who inject drugs and those living in regional, rural and remote areas. In the old days, even here, I think, Marion, you had to go to the liver clinic out at the hospital. That's which right, you did. not everyone's cup of tea. And just one point, one point of uh, treatment or care or testing is just not good enough. No. Um, this uh, trial point of care testing... Uh, will test for hepatitis C by taking a small amount of blood from a fingertip. So no more of the big trying to find veins rate. and pulling yeah, out trying huge, to yeah. find a vein on a on a chronic drug user whose veins have collapsed difficult. long time ago. A good phlebotomist is worth the weight. Yes, and gold. absolutely. <coughs> Excuse me. The blood sample is analysed right there in the van using our state of the art machine, and results will be available within an hour. If the result is positive, then in most cases, treatment can be started during that same visit or within a few days. Being able to provide the testing and treatment all in one visit is a real game changer for people who would normally have to navigate several visits across many service providers and be unsure, unsure on how and when and why. 
The Power Project provides a service model that allows people to be tested in a community setting where they feel comfortable. Excuse me, utilising a peer-to-peer approach that will improve engagement and satisfaction, reducing stigma and discrimination, flow on into treatment, improve knowledge and understanding of hepatitis C. The Peers on Wheels mobile testing facility will be at the Lands Council Health Centre in Bowerville on the 17th of January from 10am to 3pm, Bellwood Park in Nambucca Heads on the 18th of January from 10am to 3pm and at Rotary Park on River Street, Maxville on the 19th of January from 10am to 3pm. It goes on to say various other addresses, but the important thing is that they have uh, one, two, three, four set places already set that up. Yep. people can go to and have a finger prick test of yeah. their blood. So much easier. And within the hour, know the result of that as far as hepatitis C is concerned and start to provide treatment if they are hepatitis C positive. Well, look, Marion, as anyone who's listened it. to the show knows, direct-acting antivirals cure 95% plus of that's people right. with and hepatitis C. It's and uh, to the point... Jeffrey, and I say this every time we talk about to the point where it cures your liver. Yes. Really cures your liver to make it well enough to be used as a transplant organ. And that, for me, is just, it's gobsmacking, Jeff. It's a revolution. It is, and something that should not be ignored. It's not necessarily that I'm saying that all drug users are going to want to be organ donors, but the point is your liver will be well enough to, for you. If it yeah? wasn't cirrhosis yeah. or damage before you were if treated. It's, yeah, if it's not already damaged by other things. But, but it's quite remarkable. But yeah. if hep C is the reason why it's been damaged, it can be cured. Yeah. It can be re- reversed, and that's I find that amazing. It's a so revolution. Just, I can't, um, I, and I just can't congratulate Newer and the Hepatitis C organisations in New South Wales for basically picking up on the project. And I'm not saying that they um, are doing exactly what we're doing in the ACT. But you're only going to get success with peers. The only way that you can get hold of peer-based or peers, the only way you can get hold of injecting drug users uh, is meet them where they're at. Yeah, and Not they need to be confident. Ask them to come to you, mm. especially in a place where that are places that are so diverse. Yeah, and so out of ranges. I mean, from the from Sydney to the Northern Rivers. Yeah. Yep. Look, fully support any initiatives to um, uh, make Hep C treatment more available all across the country. If we're going to meet the uh, elimination of Hep C by 2030 goal, it's going to take a hell of a lot of work and it's going to take the trust of drug users to be speaking to peers and know that they can have their questions answered. The treatments are nothing like the old interferon treatments, no liver biopsy, no nasty side effects. Most people barely even notice. I think they're actually saying there's um, incentivisation as well. They're going to get paid for it as well, Jeff. Same thing. So, yeah, it's a a great initiative. It's a good news story. Good on you, Newer. All right, we're going to go to the uh, National Community Radio Federation news and then after the uh, news I'm going to play a request from Dave, my colleague, Uh, Tools Vicarious. So uh, we'll go to the national news first. 
2XXFM 98.3, people-powered radio in Canberra since 1976, now in our fifth decade and still going strong, with your support. Visit 2XXFM.org.au to listen online and find out how to subscribe, donate, sponsor or become involved as a volunteer at your community station. All right, it's uh, four minutes after 11. You're listening to News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Minimisation and Advocacy and The Connection, which is a service for First Nations people. Yes, um, before I go to the song that was requested by my colleague Dave, I just want to endorse that uh, promo about supporting 2XX. Our show has been on the air over 15 years and there are dozens of uh, excellent volunteer-made and uh, done with love and um, professionalism. So if you're in a position to... Uh, join 2XX as a member or offer some volunteer time, I strongly recommend that uh, you consider it. Okay, this song is from the band Tool, who um, Dave and I actually saw in Sydney just before COVID-19 sort of shut down uh, such uh, international concerts. Um, The band Tool, and this is Vicarious from their album 10,000 Days, Tool.
All right, welcome back to News from the Drug War Front. That, of course, was the band Tool from their 10,000 Days album, Vicarious. And um, thanks to Dave. And, uh, yeah, they were amazing live, I must say. Um, it was uh, really good to go to Sydney and see them. They really... And just, I'm glad you got to see them, Jeffrey. And seeing any band live is always much more uh, invigorating than listening to a CD. It's just... Makes it just makes you feel closer to them and gets you to appreciate the talent of the musicians. And it's been such, what that was 2020? 2020 February 2020. Yeah. You went to see them, it's now 2022, and we're back to live music again, yeah, at last. Yeah, and it's not just the musicians well, that have been suffering, you know, the all listeners, the all the yeah, yeah well, all artists have been suffering, but we've been without them too, and that's just. It's been demoralising for everyone because mu- music, and we were going to do that. In fact, we're thinking about plan- planning a um, a show where we can put music to our our lives, yeah, because music has tracked us through our lives. It has a great deal of meaning. Every song seems to have some kind of connection to a time in your life, or in my life anyway, that so yeah maybe we might still think about that. It'd be good to get some feedback from people who yeah. could nominate a drug related song that's yeah. very special to and them. Something that, that yeah that they've been interested in and has actually and takes them back to days that they remember and think fondly of or don't think fondly of whatever. But Look, yeah it's um as we said before music has a lot to do with the story of our lives I think. Oh indeed and as we've said a couple of times now, and that um, people's um, record collection, literature, movies has all been impacted by people, their authors or contributors' use of illicit drugs. Yep. Whether it's hallucinogen, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and without drugs impact, it'd be much more dull. Well, there are a lot of people who only, um, only write music, poems, songs, books, because they, although they are talented, I mean, because they're talented, but because they are on drugs. Yep. Otherwise, they wouldn't be producing the the quality of, of uh, literature or music that they do. And it goes so, back a long way, Marion. Like the romantic sure poets were taking opium and laudanum. Yep. I remember reading a book, um, uh, Opium and the Romantic uh, Imagination. Yeah. about Samuel Taylor Coleridge and all those um, folks. Coleridge in particular is great. Yeah, manner. reminds me. Of uh, what was it? Four weddings and a funeral, and drank it? the milk of paradise. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's fascinating anyway, and something that we might think about doing. Just yeah. working out. So, if listeners might want to get onto uh, Karma and or to the website, send in a song, a suggestion for a song that they, that relates to something they were interested in, or a, a time in their lives that. The, they were using and um, how it impacted them, where it drove them to, where it took them from and to. Indeed. So, yeah. And we're always anyway. amenable to having people um, come in and uh, talk, you know, do an interview. I remember Absolutely. the one we had um, 
with a fellow who uh, didn't fatally overdose, but he was sort of brain injured and he grieved for the loss of his former self. I mean, that yes. was one of the most powerful things we ever broadcast. That yeah, was, oh, know, look, and brought tears to my eyes. That was. Um, there was some amazing. We've done some, yeah, some incredible. Well, the, stuff we, the on women's this show. stories that brought yeah, tears the, to my eyes. I was just going to say that, Jeffrey. The the women's stories were really potent. And uh, we have heard so little from women over the years, particularly in relation to drug use, because generally in terms of treatment, it's been the men who have been sent to treatment. But now that we're running a peer-based organisation where you don't have to be um, therapeutically inclined, like you don't have to attend a service for the purposes of stopping your drug use, but simply using your drugs but looking after the rest of your health at the same time, why don't we start to celebrate drug use? Really important. Not because drug use is we want to encourage people to use drugs but simply because of how much it means in our lives as drug users. Anyway. And, look, the extra dimension of gender is often overlooked um, and it's something that uh, very often is very real especially uh, women with children yes who end up having their kids taken into care or you know like this and there's a program at karma yes, at the moment that monica's running involved for, in that indeed yep. and uh, give a shout out to any uh, one who has had uh, issues with care and protection contact monica at yep. karma on the same number six two five three three six four three it's uh, a really good program and um definitely a very important um Aspect of karma's work. Oh, and the look, the issues of women who, at, who losing their children simply because they've been identified as drug users has been long-standing. Indeed. Um, so, which is another reason why women don't turn up to either treatment or even just to peer-based services. Yeah. Um, because they can't afford to. Because there is a pressure to notify. There's a mandatory notification. Mm-hmm that services have to provide the information relating to a woman who uses drugs, <coughs> excuse me, if they have children in their care because it, to, to care and protection, it identifies a child at potentially at risk yeah. of harm. And that's simply because the woman uses drugs. And it's a fallacy that... Um a mother is a bad, a bad mother bad. or bad parent just because they're not, you know, just because they use drugs, or, yeah, that's or, right. or whatever. No it's, matter what kind of drug, it should be based on the evidence of how the child's been looked after and the love that's given to that child. Not, um, not because of a, an anonymous, anonymous phone call. Tip, yeah. yeah, no, that's not good. All right, let's get to the Mexico story because yeah. I sort of um, uh, painted that as probably the, the biggest story of the week. Um, at least 29 people were killed in Mexico uh, whilst the capture of um, El Chapo's son, Ovidio Guzman, was undertaken. And it was the second time they've arrested him. Back in 2019, they did it in the middle of the day and actually arrested him, but he had so many of his um, henchmen around, fully armed, of course, yep. that uh, they had to let him go. Otherwise, it, you know, the bloodbath was going to be blood huge. Bath, yeah. Well, this time they got him on the edge of town and did it very early in the morning, so they obviously reassessed their strategy, but it still has led to at least 29 people ki- being killed. Okay, um, this from ABC News. Um, 19 suspected gang members and 10 military personnel were killed in a wave of violence surrounding the arrest of suspected Mexican drug cartel boss Ovidio Guzman in the northern state of Sinaloa, the Defence Minister Luis Crescencio Sandoval has said. 
Mexican security forces uh, captured Mr. Guzman, the 32-year-old son of jailed kingpin Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, in the early hours of last Thursday morning, prompting hours of unrest and shootouts with gang members. The arrests spurred the powerful Sinaloa cartel, of course once headed by El Chapo himself, to go on a rampage, setting vehicles on fire, blocking roads and fighting security forces in and around Culiacan, the capital of Sinaloa. In a blow-by-blow description, Mr Sandoval said cartel gunmen opened fire on troops with 50 calibre machine guns. So, I mean, they've got military-grade arsenal. Um, The army responded by calling in uh, Black Hawk helicopter gunships. I mean, it's like a war zone. I bet you they came from the States. Uh, They do. They're made in America. To attack a convoy of 25 cartel vehicles, including a truck-mounted cartel gun platforms. Wow. The cartel then opened fire on the military aircraft, forcing two of them down with a significant number of impacts in each of the two aircraft, Mr Sandoval said. The gang then sent hordes of gunmen to attack fixed-wing aircraft, both military and civilian, at the city's international airport. Wow. One civilian airliner was hit. The gunmen also shot up airport buildings in a bid to prevent authorities from flying the captured cartel boss out of the city. But, Mr Sandoval said, authorities, anticipating the resistance, had loaded Ovidio Guzman onto a military helicopter to fly him back to Mexico City. He was then taken to a maximum security federal prison. Mm-hmm. 21 other people were arrested during Thursday's operations, with 17 police officers and 35 military personnel wounded, Mr Sandoval said. So, a bloodbath. Mm-hmm. We all threw ourselves to the floor, the next bit says. Passengers on an Aeromexico passenger flight at Culiacan Airport crouched low below their seats as shots ran out around the runway on Thursday. As we were accelerating for takeoff, we heard gunshots very close to the plane, and that's when we all threw ourselves to the floor, passenger David Teller said. On Twitter, Mr Teller said a flight attendant told passengers the plane had been shot at. Aeromexico said the fuselage of the plane was hit by gunfire. No passengers or crew members were harmed. The airport was due to reopen later on Friday after being closed during the violence. Well, that makes sense. Uh, the United States had offered a $55 million or $7.4 million Australian reward sorry, $5 million or $7.4 million Australian reward for information leading to the arrest or conviction of Ovidio Guzman. President André Manuel López Obrador said there were no immediate plans to extradite him to the United States, where his father is in a maximum security prison after being extradited in 2017 and found guilty in a New York court. Okay. An enhanced security presence will now remain in place in Sinaloa on Mexico's Pacific coast to protect the public, with an additional 1,000 military personnel travelling to the region today, Mr Sandoval said. The arrest of Mr Guzman was timely for Mr Lopez Lopez Obrador as he prepares to host a major North American summit, which President Joe Biden will attend. Oh, so put on a show. Look, That's who, look right. who we arrested. And there's a picture uh, in the article of the reward for a video, a video Guzman Lopez, aka El Rashon, El Raton, Raton. last seen solo Mexico. And um, Mexican military personnel were uh, at a garden, you know, looks like they've got a a big 
uh, military vehicle there at a, a checkpoint outside the uh, Almaloya prison where a video Guzman is being held. So that looks pretty well held together. The president had ordered Mr Guzman to be freed to avoid mass bloodshed after he was captured previously in the state of Sinaloa in 2019, sparking a violent standoff with cartel Guzman, a gunman, sorry, his release angered the armed forces and caused consternation inside the government and the United States. According to US and Mexican official, feeding criticism of Mr Lopez Obrador's strategy of avoiding direct clashes with gangs. Mr Obrador took office in 2018 vowing to get a grip on gang violence. Instead, the number of homicides rose on his watch and is now on the verge of surpassing the total recorded, the total recorded in the entire preceding six-year administration. So more of the same, Marion, because when he, he, he's uh, one of the first um, left-wing presidents, I think the first left-wing president ever elected um, in Mexico, they first had a one-party state, the PRI, for yep. decades and decades. And there was a lot of hope at the time that he might um, learn from the uh, policies of previous presidents and actually, you know, look towards harm reduction or, you know, a different way of doing it. Change the policies in some way or another so that it made sense anyway. Look, the civilian population live in fear. You know, you could a be shot of, in the crossfire. The whole of North Mexico is absolutely in fear, Jeffrey, and... That's one of the reasons that I think it's been given as one of the reasons why the, the gangs run rampant over North Mexico is because the cartels, not one cartel, but cartels, plural, have a range of people there yep. who are highly um, weaponised yeah. um, and they have towns, whole towns living in fear or employed by a cartel boss um, who has this particular area of North Mexico under his or her control. And why don't we look at the big picture like prohibition and the whole war on people who use drugs and the fact that um, with the money that the cartels are making, which is astronomical, they buy weapons from the United States, including military assault and, you know, things that an army would normally have. Uh, it's, it's insane. The level of violence is just grotesque. I remember following a blog um, from a Mexican reporter who used to go to um, sites of, you know, carnage and people have been hung, you know. Yeah. Women have had the head of their body mailed, of their husband mailed to them. I mean, oh, brutal violence, almost unimaginable. And it's all the systemic cause is, the, is prohibition and the huge amounts of and money. It's a... a We talk about a war on drugs, but that is an absolute practical example of the war on drugs, Jeffrey. The war on drugs really is a war in that area. That yeah, there's no way we could we can pretend that it is anything but a war. Yeah, and the fact that they it does nothing to the availability of drugs except insofar as legal drug availability has been somewhat stopped, somewhat intercepted, um, because the transporting of uh, drugs from one point to another is all suspicious, 
under the guise of a war on drugs. And it's a global problem. Mexico is an extreme example, but there are other Latin American countries that, you know, are declared to be narco states. Like yep. the government essentially has lost the authority and the power to administer, you know, that country. And it's criminal cartels that call the shots, you know. Like, and look, if those drugs weren't illegal, they'd be virtually worthless. That's it's right. only the black market and prohibition that gives those drugs the enormous the value, yeah, value that they have. Yep. And people will fight tooth and nail and uh, commit all sorts of horrendous acts to maintain. And that's international. It's international. not just in the United States and Mexico. It is international. You know, the North and South America um, may have a large number a larger number of uh, militarised vehicles and um, individuals who are ready to fight and fire weapons, but the rest of the world is also in, um, so equipped to, as to oh, you know use weapons against and but the the value of drugs is so high that the exchange of drugs for weapons is. Just part of business. Yeah, just yeah. part and parcel of how it runs. And I'd like people to um, think, you know, people that think that mainstream media's narrative about prohibition is it's just deviant people and we've got to clamp down and put them in jail and all that, to think about the big picture of the cost in lives, harm, um, disease, uh, refugees, um, just, you know, inability for countries to govern themselves. Um, it's just, it's incalculable. Well... Let's have a look at the... Uh, are you going to put a song on in a minute, Oh, Jeffrey? yeah, I was going to play a song sort of... Um... Well, after we do that, let's go to the Philippines. Oh, yeah? yes. Yeah. And we can talk run that into... Yeah, after the song, we can then, yeah, just go nice sideways into... Segue into uh, the Philippines and what's happening there. All right, well, I was looking for a song that sort of uh, is appropriate for the carnage and blood that's just taken place in Mexico and I picked Cypress Hill's uh, track from the Black Sunday album When the Shit Goes Down <laughs> You Better Be Ready
night, it's 11.33, you're with Jeff and Marion in Studio One at 2XX, People Powered Radio, 98.3 FM. And that, of course, was uh, the iconic album of Cypress Hill, Black Sunday, When the Shit Goes Down. You better, oh, yeah, you yeah. better be ready. Yeah, Jeffrey, you were going to um, do a, yeah, a... Update on the Philippines. Uh, well, yeah, we were going to do that first, but remember you said you were going to do a, uh, a chat on um, subsidising... Public radio, well, and in fact our show. Yeah. Um, Two Double X runs on public money. It runs on donations, and we want people to, our, particularly our listeners, if you like the show, even if you don't like the show. But the whole point of having public radio is that uh, citizens in the ACT and surrounding areas have access to issues and. Um, actions and activities that are happening locally and impact us locally. And if you have um, a particular, um, I don't know, feeling about the ACT and about having access to public radio, why don't you make a donation to 2XX or to... uh, our radio show in particular. Indeed. So just something that you might think about. No. Um, get in touch with uh, us via the website um, or get in touch with 2XX. Indeed. No, look, it's the, a, a It needs public money to community run. asset. And, it um, is a huge asset. It offers uh, so many quality shows that you wouldn't hear in the mainstream. Well, at media. least 40 locally, I think, aren't there? I think something like 80 shows made 80 local, locally. 70. I'm not 100% sure of the exact not, but there's a lot. And people, it's a labour of love. And stuff that we ought to be proud of, too. Okay. Yeah, it's good and to know that local the community artists. is important. They yeah. support local music and art. They do, indeed. Okay, um, regular listeners of the show will know that um, during the <clears throat> administration of President uh, Rodrigo Duterte in the Philippines, one of his major policies was a war on people who use drugs, uh, also his political opponents and the poor, and um, huge numbers of people were just summarily shot in the street and maybe bound up with tape and just tossed in an alley. You know, it's really brutal. Yeah. Anyway, there's an update. Philippines War on Drugs, Senior Police Ordered to Resign by Taylor Bateman uh, from the globeecho.com, January 6th. Hundreds of the Philippine National Police's top brass were asked to resign last Wednesday in the Southeast Asian nation's latest attempt to curb the illegal drug trade and related corruption that allegedly dogs the law enforcement ranks. It was a directive reportedly recommended in part by the National Police Chief, Rodolfo Azarin Jr., who submitted his resignation the following day. Benjamin Abelos Jr., the country's interior secretary, says the submission of resignations by some 300 officials is, quote, the only way to make a fresh start in the country's fight against illegal drugs. The interior department oversees the 227,000 strong national police. Quote, this war on drugs will be a difficult battle, especially when your own allies are the ones shooting you from behind, Abelos said in a news conference last Wednesday at police headquarters in Manila. The Philippines, a country of 110 million people, police have been at the forefront of a bloody campaign against drug users and dealers. This, quote, war on drugs was the brainchild of the former populist president, Rodrigo Duterte. Though he'd once said the police were rotten to the core, Duterte empowered law enforcement officials and the number of deaths related to anti-drug operations ballooned to tens of thousands in a matter of months. Despite the campaign's brutality, Duterte won record-high support for his tough stance on the drug trade, and he became the country's most popular outgoing president when he left office last June. But under new president, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., uh, former dictator Marcos's son, 
The latest move to reform the police through mass resignations reinforces what a catastrophe the past six years has been, says Richard Haderian, a political analyst and internal affairs expert in the Philippines. It really reflects the total failure of the previous administration to really clean up the system. It was time. Amongst mm. other things, yeah. How bad of a problem is drug use and the drug trade in the Philippines? Duterte once claimed the, Ill- the illegal drug situation in the Philippines was so bad it was at risk of becoming a narco state. But there is a limited da- there's limited data to back up claims of how widespread the problem is. Government data claims that almost 11.91 metric tonnes of methamphetamine, locally called shabu, worth $1.4 billion, was seized between July the 1st, 2016, and May 31, 2022. A, two, a 2019 survey from the Philippines Dangerous Drugs Board extrapolated that two in every 100 or around 1.7 million Filipinos aged 10 to 69 were using drugs like methamphetamines and marijuana at the time of the data collection. In the same year, however, only uh, 5,277 recorded admissions in health facilities in the Philippines were related to substance use, according to the World Health Organisation. When Duterte took office in 2016, the streets became rife with extrajudicial drug enforcement-related killings, many in low-income and rural areas, with some victims not even involved in the drug trade. Police data reported over 6,200 deaths in the anti-drug operations during the past six years, but human rights advocates and independent monitors put the number somewhere between 12,000 and 30,000. Likely even higher, Mary, well, from what I've read. Jeffrey, after uh, Duterte came in, after the first six months, he was already bragging that yep. 6,000 deaths had occurred. Yeah, he bragged. He was yeah, and he was involved in part of that. When he was that, mayor when, of Davao. Yeah, he was yeah. shooting them from his motorcycle when he was the mayor. It's just yeah. outrageous. Of Davao. Was it Davao? Davao. Yeah. yeah. Okay, they also allege that some er- errant officers would plant drug evidence to frame eviction. Some, gee, that's an understatement. The US, European, the European Union and other international bodies have all raised alarms over the deaths, sparking an international criminal court, ICC, probe against Duterte for possible crimes against humanity. Good. At one point in 2017, he asked police to stand down anti-drug operations amid reports of abuse of power, but he reinstated them months later. Marcos Jr., Duterte's political ally and successor, has vowed to continue the drug war, albeit less punitively. But the killings have not stopped. Police report 46 deaths in anti-drug operations from when Marcos took up took office in June 30 last year to November the 16th. I think that is a massive under-reporting. I would think so too. 46 deaths. DAHAS, a a monitoring initiative from the University of Philippines, Dilliman's Third World Studies Centre, reports even higher figures, recording 161 killings from June 30th to December 7th, 2022. And despite thousands dead, the
the drug trade has not stopped either. In the first five months since Marcos Jr.'s term began, authorities seized almost $179 million in illegal drugs. Worse, enforcers themselves have been implicated in the trade. On December the 6th in Tagwig City, uh, some 15 kilometres away from the capital of Manila, Authorities confiscated illegal narcotics worth over $164,000 with the local drug enforcement agency chief, the suspected culprit. Yeah, the article concludes why have police generals been asked to resign en masse? Uh, the move is a shortcut to the proper lengthy judicial process involved in po- uh, prosecuting police officials involved in the drug trade. It's also not necessarily going to lead to a significant change in personnel. A five-member panel will evaluate each official's links to drugs and may choose to accept or reject the resignation. What they're doing is just for show, says Carlos Conde, Senior Researcher at Human Rights Watch's Asia Division. It's a tried and tested tactic by a lot of Filipino politicians. A mass resignation of top police officials is not feasible, says Haydarian, who believes the call to resign should not be taken literally, but instead be seen as a call for understanding from the public. There's clearly a recognition that things were not working out under the previous administration as far as rule of law, public safety and dealing with the issue of drugs is concerned. But Conde says the Marcos administration is sending mixed signals on accountability. More than a dozen police personnel were arrested or removed and investigated last year for links to the drug trade. And in November, a local court sentenced a police officer convicted of torturing and planting evidence to two terms of life imprisonment. Wow. Reuters has reported marking a rare conviction against corrupt drug officials. However, at the time, Marcos Jr. refuses to join the International Criminal Court over its investigation of former President Duterte's brutal war on people who use drugs. That's right. The six years Mr. Duterte set the bar so low for human rights, Conde says, that whoever replaced him, now Mr. Marcos, can pretty much do anything and he'd still look good. That's right. And, in fact, we uh, reported earlier on in another story that Duterte actually withdrew from the International Criminal Court two years after he he came into office, and that was because he was was being harassed about the um, thousands that had already been killed. But there's still a case that can be made up to the point they left. Up until the point that they left, that he withdrew from the ICC jurisdiction there. That's true. It'd be nice to see some real accountability. It Um, would be nice. And it would be good to see that uh, the ICC actually followed through. Yes. With its its, occupation of uh, focusing on the drug war and country leaders who are either just recently left position yep. or have just come into their position yeah there's human rights abuses it's uh, even genocide in some oh, cases it, i think it's not too much of a stretch to call it genocide no jeffrey really no, i think there's think a spectrum marion from just yep. you know uh, criminal justice you know maybe fine jails right up to being executed but the whole war on people who use drugs is on a spectrum and yes. countries are either at one end of the extreme or the other you know like, that's right remember the two australians who got shot on the beach, yes. the, the Bali Nine, you yep. know, despite the prison governor saying they'd been model prisoners and helping run, the run into the jail, they still were put to death. They were still killed, that's it, right. It's, it's just criminal, and a lot of people just don't seem to make that connection between a, a rancid failed policy and basic human rights. No, and the, the whole idea of um, making sure that you follow through with the death penalty on foreigners is what seems to be the point. It's actually to deliver the message to the countries from which those um, 
prisoners, the dead prisoners, have come to send a message to those countries, if you want to use drugs, don't come to us. Don't come and spend your tourist dollars here because we don't want you. And a lot of countries, we don't know how many executions, you know, Saudi Arabia, there's a whole number of countries that basically have the death penalty as um, one of the outcomes of uh, being convicted. And a lot of the trials are you know, hardly uh, world best practice. Um, 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 just uh, I find that, you can, that if you have a look at Iran and what's happening there, Jeffrey, just think of that woman well, who was caught by the morality police yeah. for a woman who wore, didn't wear her Burka scarf properly. properly. Yeah. Now, it wasn't a burqa, it was oh, just it was, a scarf. Oh, head scarf. Okay. She didn't wear it properly. And she got um, tortured to death. And she got killed. Wow. So sent to jail, killed. And uh, it's mind-boggling, Mary. Just wrong. And unfortunately, prohibition provides a cover for a lot of these authoritarian regimes. I mean, look, it's prohibition all over the world, and there's degrees of harms and degrees of br- brutality, but it's all on the same spectrum. That's right. And uh, it's time we looked at the big picture and said, is the outcome, uh, is the price worth paying? The pain. Yeah. Okay, I found a song that sort of sums up, uh, they mentioned Shabu as being the main drug. This is Baby Shambles and Put the Pipe Down. Oh, 
All right, that was the baby shambles. And uh, put the pipe down. We're getting towards the end of this week's show. A couple of stories that we won't have time to um, cover. Uh, there's one about how rumours of Hollywood's um, weight loss drug, Ozempic, went mainstream, fueling a shortage uh, of the medication for people who really need it with diabetes. Yeah. It's sort of like a return of the thin is in. Um, everyone suddenly showed up 25 pounds later. And uh, obviously supplies have been affected by TikTok and social media that this is some miracle weight loss um, thing. And when celebrities start saying they're using it and it's a success, people just follow like lemmings. Well, the, one of the countries that – one of the, co- the companies that actually provide the drug is actually being sued in France. Really? Yeah. Wow. They've been uh, they've been sentenced to a fine of a $150 million or wow. something. It's a, oh, that's yeah, a quite substantial – yeah. Uh, there's another story um, about students for sensible drug policy and their attempt to try and get harm reduction uh, front and centre of policies um, in the US. The, in fact, there's students for sensible drug policy here, and it's good to have an organisation of young people aware of the failure of prohibition and looking to implement harm reduction policies, so that's good. But the one we're going to just talk a little bit more was we mentioned about the Northern Territory uh, Liquor Commission had... Um, the Liquor Commission was part of the Economic Development um, Department, and now the head of the Liquor Commission has flagged a, quote, inherent tension between the goals of the Commission and the government department that administered it. In 2020, the Commission, an independent statutory body tasked with liquor licensing in the NT, was moved from Attorney General and Justice to the newly created Department of Industry, Tourism and Trade. Since then, the Commission has been enmeshed in a number of controversial licensing decisions, including rejecting Woolworths' bid to set up a Dan Murphy liquor store in, in Darwin. Peter Dabbs, a sociologist who has conducted numerous alcohol policy evaluations in the Northern Territory, said the management of the Commission was, quote, a difficult but very important issue for the Northern Territory Government. If you put your licensing authority under a trade and development and economic department, then these sorts of considerations are likely to take priority over issues to do with health and minimising harm. Mm. How outrageous. Yeah, indeed. Do you want to do the... the oh, yeah, the sure. Um, a liquor commission had existed in the Northern Territory since 1979 but was abolished to 2015 by a country, a country Liberal government and its function transferred to the government, effectively removing its independence. It was reinstated by the Labor government in 2018 following the party's return to power. Quote, at one time, the Liquor Commission saw itself very much as a social policy body, very responsive to communities wanting to reduce alcohol-related harm, Dr Dabb said. Then that came under political pressure and the Commission shifted to an industry-promoted stance, uh, more to an industry promotion stance. As you can imagine, he said, there are political players and there are economic players in this, seeking to have the Commission work in a way that uh, fits in with their interests. Speaking on ABC Radio, Alice Springs in, in ABC Radio Alice Springs in December, Northern Territory Chief Minister Natasha Files said, despite her confidence in the independence of the Commission, she was considered moving it out of DITT. It's something I've been looking at, she said, having these resources in the Department of Chief Minister and Cabinet, she said. I've got the alcohol policy portfolio in Chief Minister and Cabinet since I've become the Chief Minister. And as you know, I've kept that portfolio because it's really important and I'm determined to tackle these issues. Since long-term alcohol bans were lifted across dozens of Aboriginal living spaces in July, the Northern Territory's alcohol policies have come under greater scrutiny 
as uh, grog-related violence and crime has spiked across parts of the Territory. What a surprise. Yeah. The Northern Territory Police Acting Commander for Central Australia, Kirsten Engels, has directly linked the surge in domestic violence incidents in Alice Springs to the ending of the bans. Last month, the Northern Territory Government opened consultation for alcohol laws in the Northern Territory as it prepares to undertake a review three years on from launching sweeping change under the Liquor Act in 2019. What a comparison in the approach to a legal drug. Yeah. It's still a drug. Alcohol's a drug. Um, and but, but what a, what a, um, a mild-mannered reporting I mean, you know, it's really understating the facts when we're talking about the numbers of women that die yes. from domestic violence, quite likely With linked alcohol to or, alcohol consumption. Yep, and that's Australia-wide, oh, not yeah. us Northern Territory. No. But it is so um, understated, yeah? It's, yep. it's referred to as... Will we have it in this part, this department, or will we have it in that department? Well, the you difference know? towards debate about illicit drugs is stark. Oh, and, hip- and hypocritical. Yeah. No, no mention of weapons or of. Did no one mean? Yeah, all we the just, evidence points to alcohol as the number one cause number one of harm. Number one cause of harm, yeah. Uh, car accidents, violence, domestic violence, bashings, um, yep. all sorts of other related crimes. You can see alcohol as a factor. And, Everywhere. Um, it's yep. very hard to get any um, – well, certainly the previous government was very resistant to any harm reduction messages about maybe to encourage people to lower their drinking or have a drink three months in, you know, January or – you know, there's a lot yeah. of people trying to impact um, the scale of the problem. It's a serious social problem. Very serious. No, it's just it, – it's unbelievable how understated the problems related with alcohol are and how – um, excuse me, under-resourced, the um, organisations that approach alcohol use and you know, alcohol um, uh, interaction or, or pervasiveness across mm. society, yep. um, it just doesn't make any sense. No, the difference it. between marijuana, where CBD oil and uh, Actually, where particularly marijuana, Lots where it's been medical, shown to have uses. medical, yep. um, a medical Benefits. usefulness, yep. utility, and alcohol, which doesn't necessarily have any medical utility except in cleaning the spot you're yeah. about to inject into, because an alcohol swab well, is used yeah, there. Good point. Um, but it's just uh, you know there really isn't. Except I remember, I think, some 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, we were told to have maybe one drink in the evening to settle us down. Well, we haven't mentioned um, the impact of uh, alcohol on pregnant women. Uh, and you can what pick what the wrong day of. and have a drink and have your, your fetus adversely impacted. And Supposedly. Well, I think the, the, the evidence is pretty clear now that really the recommendation should be don't drink you know, during pregnancy. It's not really safe. Well, Jeffrey, I hate to... But I don't want to be, you know, um, argumentative about this, but my feeling is that a large proportion of women get pregnant because they are drunk. <laughs> Quite likely. And I think I've said that many times <laughs> over have. the years. <laughs> you have. All right, um, that's it for this week's show. I hope we've travelled the world and travelled some interesting we have, topics. We went round the world and came back to Australia that, again. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, please give us some feedback and ideas. Yeah. Uh, Marion mentioned the, uh, you know, the drug, idea drug related songs that are and, important. And or, relating them to our life events, yeah. Indeed. No, we're more than willing to um, get advice and feedback and take ideas up and that's what the program's and about. Look, we've had a lovely show this week. I've really enjoyed myself, Geoffrey, and I just want to tell listeners that you don't know how much this show means to me and to Geoffrey on a weekly basis. We really look forward to it, so... Really look forward to hearing from what you guys have got to say and what you'd like to see us uh, include in our stories because sometimes we get sick of saying the same old no, thing. No, no, fresh ideas that please. Love thank you to for listening, hear everyone. Take care of yourself and your yeah. friends. And, um, Stay safe. We we'll, love you all. We'll leave you with um, The Stranglers and uh, my favourite song of theirs, Golden Brown. <laughs> like sun lays me down with my mind she runs throughout the night no need to fight never a frown with golden brown every time just like the last on her ship tied to the mast two distant lands takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown Golden brown, fine attemptress through the ages she's heading west From far away, stays for a day Never a frown with golden brown